Welcome back to The, the Mentors. Mentors. All this, right. Okay, can you let me say my name, Sergey? No. Okay, this is Vadim, and obviously that was Sergey who interrupted me Hi. so rudely. Uh, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. This is a show where we tell stories about ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. Now, as some of you guys and gals may know, uh, Sergey and I are coffee drinkers, okay? We need to consume coffee on a daily basis to be productive and stay awake, basically. So, for those well, of you who also just love the taste, and uh, we also have a failed coffee subscription business under our belt. So, there's a lot of history there, Redeem. Yes, that's true. It was called Tasty Roast, <laughs> and nobody got to taste the tastiness of Tasty Roast, but that's okay because today. We're talking to such a tasty coffee company that you guys are going to be jealous that we have their cold brew sitting in front of us right now. It's called Wandering Bear Coffee, and we have Matt Bachman on the show with us. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. So their story is incredible, and they've been able to already achieve a ton of success in our eyes uh, in just a short four years. But as Matt told us, as we were talking to him before this podcast started, they still feel like they are in the early stages. But you be the judge. Uh, they are now in a thousand retail locations, including select Target and Whole Food locations. They're in nine states, and that list is growing substantially. They also sell nationally direct to consumer uh, online. And you joined us at a great time because soon they're going to be dropping their shipping costs, which will let you buy online some of their new products, including an 11-ounce straight black coffee, an 11-ounce mocha with a splash of coconut. Mmm. Yum. And you know what? So Sergey has tried Wandering Bear Coffee before. And when we were telling our friends that we're doing this recording today, they were, again, jealous since they all tried it too, but I haven't. And so now, before we start the show, I'm going to try it right in front of you guys and tell you my true opinion about how it tastes. They so give me a, you, so can you talk to the I know. They can't see you, Vadim. Uh, and Wandering Bear also recently raised $10 million. Well, and all in all raised $10 million, just so you're aware. But of course, if you listen to the show, you know that fundraising doesn't really mean anything uh, if you don't actually have a successful underlying business behind it. So that's what we're going to uncover today is how in four years, they essentially started this business from scratch without any experience in coffee beforehand. Uh, well, as I should say in a coffee business. I'm sure that uh, they were brewing it at home. We'll, we'll get into that in, in about a second. But Matt... Before Matt, before we ask my first question, I just tried the coffee, and uh, I don't usually drink black coffee. I usually put some half and half or almond milk or oat milk into it, but this, I can tell you honestly, I can drink straight up black. Surprisingly smooth, right? It is amazing, and it tastes a little chocolatey, and I, I love myself some chocolate, especially dark chocolate, so it's approved by me who loves cold brew. Okay, Sergey, go ahead. All right, Matt, so uh, you and your co-founder, Ben, started this company in 2014, um, but... Tell us a little bit about your history, your background. Um, did you have any entrepreneurial ambitions before this? Do you have any entrepreneurs in your family? Um, where does this come from? Why did you decide to go off on your own? So Ben and I both, I th- you know, Ben definitely had, you know, I think lemonade style, you know, side hustles throughout his entire life. Yeah, at one point, one of the first things I learned about Ben is he had started a, a company in Michigan called Bagel Boys where he you know would deliver bagels to uh, bagels and and you know accessories to, to families on the weekends mm. um, you know I was always an idea guy I guess right and so I think you know wandering bear is certainly the first time that's come to fruition to this extent uh, but Ben and I met in grad school and 
it was, you know, timing is, is everything uh, in life, or a lot at least. Uh, we found each other in grad school at a time when we were both really seeking something to sink our teeth into, something to get passionate about, go deep on. Um, and, and, you know, timing aligned where our interests in coffee uh, became like an obsessive passion in coffee. Fast friendship, you know, quickly developed into this idea for, for Wandering Bear, an idea to take this category that we loved, you know, a product, you, know, you referenced it. I don't know if you knew this, but we'd been making it at home for years or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's one of the, the seeds of the friendship. We walk into class carrying mason jars of cold brew and, <laughs> you know, strike up a conversation. Um, start bringing each other coffee in class and like kind of egg each other's you know, consumer interest into passion and then fanaticism as we kind of start this journey to, to make a, you know, make and scale this delicious product. So, so you guys bonded over, uh, that's right. I think I read that somewhere where you would bring in your own cold brew to class. And is that how you guys met? Uh, yeah, no, to- totally. Brew? I mean, it's like, it was, it was a joke. Everyone else is talking about, you know, like interest rates and we're talking about roasts. <laughs> so a lot of people, ask us how do i find a co-founder and here i guess it was pretty natural would you say that you decided to start the business together because you knew that you had this passion the similar shared passion and or was it more like okay our skills are complementary maybe we should work together and it's a challenge too for most people because you don't know what it's going to be like to work with an individual yeah. starting a company with someone is hard so was that a risk in your mind in your guys's mind at all before you got started like never i mean if anything the risk was that it was on gut versus analysis mm. i mean yeah I, I think it has taken us you know four years now and and uh you know some couples counseling probably to re- <laughs> to realize all the ways that we actually truly are complementary as partners um, you know, on the surface, I think you know, ac- you know academically, professionally, we're, this the backgrounds were not so diverse that you know someone in uh, you know startup matchmaking heaven or whatever would have put the two of us together. But what it was was real. It was authentic. Um, and, and this business is hard. Food and beverage. I mean, it's it's it is a it's a literal grind. You have to make make distribute a physical product to have someone. Uh, that's a true friend, like family that you can trust by your side, really help craft uh, craft the story, grow the business. And someone who you know, authentically is, I think, um, shares the same values, I think has been uh, been an asset that I guess, you know, like on paper, overly complementary skill sets, right, probably wouldn't have achieved. How did you... How did you develop that trust? How did you know that you could trust him and he knew that he could trust you? Honestly, we were friends first. I mean, that's 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 the truth. I mean, it was like a fast friendship. I mean, we met, you know, at, at you know, 26, 27 years old. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, I mean, we were, we were we were truly friends that started a business together. Was there any worry that if you start a business together, the relationship might suffer or you didn't care? I guess that, that that was always a risk, but I mean, like, if we're being completely honest here, we were also new friends. Right. So I mean, like, it's like you know, these, this wasn't like a lifelong friendship. Not a lot to lose. You, know, you could point to like a lot of stuff in our history where where we um, we probably should have met or could have met like many years earlier. Um, you, know, it, but but at the end of the day, you know, it's this this is the defining thing that we've done. To, we you know we've been co-founders of Wandering Bear for you know four years longer than we've been friends. I, I think we started the business. Uh, less than six months into our friendship. I'm glad that you said the shared values part and the trust part, because obviously that I think is what uh, truly contributes to a lasting partner relationship, actually marriage partner, uh, family, but also in business partners as well. Um, But I'm curious because 
Sergey and I are twins, obviously, and we've started a lot of businesses together. And I always like asking this question since you just said that it wasn't as much about the complementary skill piece. So how do you guys go about dividing responsibility? You know, what if you guys both want to do the same type of work? How do you solve that problem? I think the 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 key thing for us and I and, and, and listen and we solicit advice from you know other founders we admire all the time and and it is by the divide and conquer approach to co-founder relationships is not always the the you know a recipe for success. I've you know heard stories from founders who strongly believe that you know kind of joint at the hip decision making is you know yields faster decision cycles and more co- you know for us though given the amount that we were trying to accomplish, the sheer workload, uh, we realized very early that the key to dividing responsibilities was to commit to that division. Mm. More than even, you know, you can always tweak over time and say, you know what, I'm really better at this. Than, you know, there, at one point, Ben was handling accounting. Now I handle accounting. It's something I you know, you're, you're manage that part of the business. It's something I gravitate more naturally to. That's completely fine to, to kind of adjust. But I think it's the commitment to say, you know what, we are... You know, the sum of the parts is going to be greater if we each commit to dividing, uh, respect each other's kind of authority or first right in that area, uh, and really let the other person grow and lead in that function. That I think starts with intention, and then you know takes communication to ensure that there's follow through. But you know, people joke that they rarely ever see Ben and I in the same place. He's not, not right. he's not here right now. Right. <laughs> um, but we know all the same thing. Like yeah, yeah, it's two for two for one. I guess share an office. We do. We sit right next to each other. Yeah, I really like that you said that don't worry too much about divided responsibilities. There should be plenty of work to do that you can kind of uh, figure out what you have to do you, you, together. But do you guys delegate things to each other, basically? Is that how, yes. how that works? Okay. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, especially to the extent that it falls in that other person's domain um, and what they're responsible for. Yeah, we, we task each other and we hold each other accountable to deliver. Yeah, 100%. So you guys shared a passion for delicious coffee, but where did you see the business opportunity? What made you decide to start a company around it? Two things. Um, I mean, so first at the time, I mean, the category, the cold brew coffee category has exploded around us in ways that we really only could have dreamed or feared, (laughs) frankly, when we were, when we were starting this business. But when I think about, you know, the, those, the early moments of insight and what we were seeing as consumers in the space, there, there was an element that was always driven by taste, right? I mean, the product, you know, there were, there were products on the market. We thought that the stuff we were bringing at home had, you know, a different flavor, flavor profile was, was more in line with what we expected when we would go out to any of the awesome cafes here around New York City. Um, and so sought to deliver like, you know, kind of the you know, gold standard of, of taste, right? Um, but that alone wasn't enough. And so we saw a real opportunity in format and occasion. Like we took a look at our own consumption behaviors. You know, having brewed large quantities of this stuff at home for a while, we knew it went stale, right? So if you had multiple servings at home, you needed a way to keep it fresh. You open bottle exposed to air, exposed to light, like wasn't going to do it. So you know, we went, we looked around, and, and you know, so okay, well, the box wine industry has solved this problem for wine. You know, it was bag and box, and so we came up with the idea of coffee on tap. Hmm. Um, and so that you know, insight, and when we saw that we'd be the first. To be able to bring that packaging format to this category, bring that to market, got us really excited. And then we went down uh, an even more fun rabbit hole of figuring out, okay, well, where does this format, you know, this product in this packaging have that greatest likelihood of product market fit? And we had different hypotheses, right? We 
thought restaurants, right? You know, making this stuff is a pain in the butt, right? So how do we make that easier, more consistent for a restaurant operator? Offices were, were a thesis, home as well, right? Uh, so we started talking to customers, right? I've interviewed maybe 15 or so like restaurant operators before we completely ruled that out as an initial thesis. Um, Why did you rule that out? While they agreed with the problem and saw the opportunity, we couldn't get the economics to work. Uh, their profit margin or, or food cost, right, on coffee was so, what, their margins were high, their food costs were so low that bringing a branded product into what was, for many of the top restaurants, already a branded environment, they weren't willing to pay a, a price premium to feature somebody else's brand. And that was going to be required if we were manufacturing something for them. So we needed to go somewhere where there was less ability or willingness to to make the product yourself and you know higher higher willingness to pay or provide it provide the the amenity and so we found offices is like a really willing and interesting space that wasn't being wasn't being uh addressed by by some of our competitors did you also interview offices and how many, yeah we did how many did you talk to before you realized this, this that is that that was that was quicker we probably spoke to uh office managers at five or six companies but it was you know it, it, at that point we were so close to product i'll be, I'll be honest I mean, we were doing ben and i were you know in the kitchen you know the, the the operation at the beginning it was uh you know make the product friday saturday sunday across you know two different batches uh and deliver it on monday i mean that was that was the business and so we you know we're doing super small runs we had a commercial kitchen out in queens you know the the customer discovery at the office was a live exercise. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, you know, we made our, our first production run mid-June 2014. Your know, first sale was June 23rd, 2014. Wow. Actually, let me back up a little bit here um, because first of all, I love that you said that you guys analyzed your own consumption habits because that's such a consultant thing to say. Uh, <laughs> and, you were, and you were a consultant in your previous life. You can take the kid out of the suit, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but... Uh, when you had this initial insight that hey we could produce um, boxed or bagged use I think you said uh, coffee on tap great idea what did you do first did you talk to customers first or did you start experimenting in your kitchen first we, we no we went on Google and was like wait this has to exist someone <laughs> has to have already done this um, and then you know would for for a long time I mean pretty much until the point when when others started doing it would. You know, like stupidly lose, like you know lose sleep at night or wake up in cold sweats <laughs> thinking that someone was because um, I mean, at, you know, at that point I think we were you know naively kind of overvaluing you know innovation when you know, really when it, when it comes down to it, I mean we're in the food business it's a sales and distribution game I mean right. that you know you you learn you learn so much um, well you were but, that's what made you excited in the beginning is like hey we're this well is they, we, it was it was novel right um, did you think you had know, to patent it somehow or we quickly learned that you that, that's not patentable got it um, and yeah that's what everyone would ask you know, so I talked to tech investors right it's like well, do you have a patent on this and like we quickly learned that it wasn't wasn't patentable and so what it really becomes is, is a what has become and what it, what is you know I think set you know, is our, our ability to to create the manufacturing capacity to produce this type of product so you did that Google search and then what was the first real step you t- took towards starting the company? And by the way, were you, um, did you guys both still have day jobs when you decided to start this? We were in school. You were still in school. Yeah, we were full-time students. It was like a moonlight, hardcore side, uh, you know, uh, you know, side hustle for the first, um, I don't know, year and a half, almost. Uh, so you clearly were, probably the first step was perfect, perfecting the recipe, right? Not even per- perfection comes later. So at the time, it was 
producing you know good tasting coffee that 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 we could do relatively consistently within the weekend that we had to produce it get it in packaging and and you know get it out the door so i'm curious about the process itself so uh you you said that over the weekend you would uh, essentially create the batches mm-hmm. and then during the week you would distribute mm-hmm. now to set up uh, this distribution sort of channel, did you reach out to your own network in the beginning uh, of, let's say, office managers uh, or people that worked in the corporate world, or did you cold email? What did you do? A version of all of it. I mean, I think you know, at the core, so I think June, right? So we're heading right into to iced coffee season, um, even though we would argue that's 12 months a year. <laughs> the um, Yeah, we reached out to literally everyone we knew in our network and asked the question, who like, who do you know? that would want a sample of this in their office and would load up a cooler bag and hit the subways. Uh, at one, one point, one of my friends who was uh, like studying for, uh, studying for like GRE or, or something at that point, uh, we loaded up a, a zip car and like way more efficient than a cooler bag for a car. We hit like 30 offices that day. It was like the best day. Giving away free samples? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, so it's like, how do you get started, right? In, in a product business, you need to have the product. Right. I mean, the, you don't know. You don't even know that you have. You don't know whether or not you have something at all until someone actually is willing to to pay for what you've created. A lot of people wonder with this type of stuff, like, you know, a product business like this, a food business like this, can be capital intensive in the beginning, especially when you need to get, you know, make sure you produce in a commercial kitchen and make sure everything is, is essentially follows the regulations. At what point did you start thinking about that? Well, so I, I. There, there's no doubt that food and beverage is a long-term capital-intensive business. However, on the flip side, if you would compare, I would argue, if you were to compare like cost to get to a minimum viable product, right? Like how much capital, time, investment is required to get to something that you can legally sell, it's probably lower than a lot of industry. I mean, like certainly, you know, you know, hardware or you know any sort of like you know, you know wearable tech. Okay, like that that watch is going to be a lot more to make than than a box of, of coffee. And so I think the the what I always you know challenge folks. It's like what is what is the quickest route to something, right? To something that you can hold and hand to some, and potentially sell to someone. And in food, like I mean that 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 is both the greatest asset of the industry and why it's ripe with so much innovation and it's also why it's you know full of so much competition especially in categories like ours you know when two guys sitting you know sitting in new york and say you know what like i make really good cold brew at home and and we're gonna start selling it i mean that now that story has now replicated you know across the country uh and it's created a category that that's you know on fire right now I love that that you said that you know how do you get to something as quickly as possible that you can sell. So many people and uh, entrepreneurs that we meet with, they'll spend a year or a year and a half developing the product, whatever it is, software. Uh, it really doesn't matter because they're product oriented people, or at least that's how they see themselves. But then you find out that they don't actually have anybody using it or trying it or finding enough value in it to pay for it. So that's what you're trying to prove in the beginning with any type of business, but obviously especially a food business where taste uh, and buying behavior and stuff like that is incredibly important. So that's why I think this leads me to my next question. So you're, you're giving away essentially free samples to get people to try it and like it. Uh, and then when do you get the point of actually selling it and who's buying it and stuff like that? And how long did it take you to from idea to then be able to have a product that you can legally sell? So idea to product, it was, it was three months. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was March to June pretty much of that year. Um, our initial sales cycle, I think was like a week. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's longer now than it was in that first like month. I mean, we were, um, you know, obviously you know, it's you know, averages right now. Scale is, is different, but, um, yeah, I mean, we you know, give the sample and, and ask if we want to sign up. It's funny, like our first, so we're still figuring out pricing, right? Like, what do we charge for this? So we, uh, you know, we sell our, our first office subscription, you know, in the balance of a week, we're still tweaking pricing. The pricing we'd quoted to that customer was equivalent to what, what our current, uh, what our current wholesale prices? Oh wow! Right, like you know, like the you know the true like you know like the lowest price we've ever sold a unit at in in uh, in company history was what that first customer's quote at in you know one week sales like we were like okay wait this is way too fast huh. <laughs> like like so, something something is not right here you yeah know, frankly we would have been losing significant amount of money per unit at that point yeah I don't think we you know with those first runs we we didn't even have a sense for cost like we do now you just got to do it it's like yeah, right. there, there's an element of it where it's not too the, the the precious element is the customer it's the fact that you have someone there at the table willing to not only provide you like real feedback on, on what you're selling and what you're doing but the, you know whether whether verbal or, or non-verbal right in like the sense of like a very quick transaction like that was feedback you know what we may have priced this a little bit too low let's try some other prices and kind of see where that sensitivity lies the precious thing is is that opportunity to interact with with a customer and and the goal is is the feedback you know eventually yes like you need a product that you know has as the fund has fundamentals to be successful in the long term but how would you know what what that is, or what elements are what matter to yeah you know, what elements matter to the market until you're actually out there with with your customer? I love that you know as a ex management consultant, you're not saying you have to analyze the shit out of it and figure out how to price it through sort of a ton of research and market analysis. You just said you got to do it. We actively try to counter those instincts. Yeah, I love that. Most people, I don't think, would do that. They would think, oh, I'd have to, I have to leverage whatever knowledge I have to succeed. But when you're an entrepreneur, a lot of times there's mostly unknowns. When when you're entre- I mean, the advantage you have as an entrepreneur is your speed, right? Because I'll tell you, Coca Cola is not going to move that quickly. They will do the analysis because the cost of, of failure for them is, is just simply higher, right? They, and, and the tolerance for it's lower. So you know, the combination of those two, they're going to take the time, they're going to do the research, and they'll have an answer that you know, them and, and all the top consulting firms are going to believe in. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, your advantage is speed, and and you have you know, a, a different asset, which is the ability at relatively low risk to get actual truth, you know, ground truth feedback from the market. And so, you know, again, you know, so much, obviously, you know, what we know is, is product and even specifically like, you know, beverage. So it's like, you know, but what, what is proven true for us is that, you know, you, you don't know until it's out there. You can have an entire boardroom full of super smart people who, who have even, who have even done it opining on, on what they think will happen. But, what often does happen is is different. Totally true. So you're sort of driving around whenever you can in zip cars or taking the subway to drop off these samples. Now, when you're meeting somebody and you're dropping off the sample, are you saying, let us know if you want to buy some or are you following up a week later? How did that, what's the actual uh, process there to get that dollar? Yeah, I mean, just make clear that you're selling. You always want to be clear that you're selling. And with that, I think there's like an element. I think If I think about what our sales process feels like now there, there was a time when it was like how many follow-ups is too much like at what point am i bothering this individual you know now our general our general yeah you know, and we look at like what those kind of that cadence goes on from like you know okay well maybe two follow-ups three four five now like it's unlimited right i think as long as you're being polite and respectful right you're you're not doing any you know you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not getting to an answer 
Um, and so for us, like that sales cycle was exactly as you were. I mean, it's, it's kind of common sense. You, you make clear what you're trying to do. You have a structure for it. So it's like, here's the cost. Here's what we'd like to do. We're going to deliver to you, you know, twice a week. And, and here's the rough quantity that we think you should be ordering. And, and, um, and try to get them to say yes. Communicating structure actually to how it's going to work is really important to helping somebody make a buying decision because if, if they're confused, they're not going to ask and then they're probably not going to act. Well, it, you know, I will say that's probably you know, one of the things that we really do coach our sales team on um, you know, across, across channels, both wholesale and, and direct. It's the value of being the expert and, and not in a pretentious sense or in like a true, you know, but just you know, with the confidence that, that you have insight into what you're selling, that the person across the table from you, while well, they have interest in what you're selling, they, they don't have, they're not doing it every day. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, for an office, helping them understand what, uh, what quantity is, is going to be appropriate for an office of their size, how, how often they should expect to deplete it, or whether it's for a retailer, just you know, walking them through what you see in the category and the differences that you see uh, in, in the competition or in the trends that are coming out and, and how the feedback you're receiving from your consumers firsthand impacts what they're trying to do as a merchant. I mean, I think being the expert um, is, is, is a huge role of the salesperson. Absolutely. And who's the decision maker in this case with the office? Is it office managers primarily who will say, okay, I'm going to buy this and subscribe? Many titles, but like often that that function. I mean, the reality is, is that anyone in a company has the, the, the agency to bring in a box of coffee and put it in the fridge. Right. You know, collect, you know, put out, a, pass, pass, the, pass the Folgers jar around and, and you know, collect, collect donations to, to pop it in the fridge. So we've gotten, you know, there, there are individuals at, at various companies that like buy it for their team. Right, so not necessarily a corporate purchase, but like we'll hear a rumor that you know floor twenty seven at so and so company has wandering bear because you know a certain employee chooses to buy it. Yeah, there are all sorts of ways to get get into the building. Pass the Folgers jar around, but don't actually drink Folgers because what are you doing with your life if you're doing if you're drinking that? Um, although they have a good jingle, don't they, Vadim? The best part of waking up is, is wandering bear coffee wandering in your cup. Okay, cup get it right. So I'm curious now. <laughs> I'm curious. Now we sing too. It's just what we do. Um, okay. So clearly though, you got to a point where you're not just distributing through offices. You're now going to retail like Whole Foods. You're doing direct to consumer on the website. You, you're doing all these different channels. And I know you said earlier, it still feels like you're starting out, but thousand locations, you're a little beyond that, I think. And so at what point now, if you said about a year and a half was sort of the early days you graduated uh, from Columbia. At what point did you feel like this is real? Was it basically right away or when it started to scale a little bit? What's the feeling there? It has always felt real. I think, yeah, I remember like an early, an early conversation I had with with, uh, with my parents about this. It's like the notion of ever thinking that it wasn't a serious pursuit. Like that that like was a non-start. Like from day, from day one, it has felt um, real. What that means is always like... Is, is, is this constantly moving target because I think each probably every six months at just at, at the at the growth path we've been on it feels like a different business there are different individuals involved there's a different challenge there's a different you know critical element like you know that that um, that needs to be addressed but I think that you know we, we've been very committed to the pursuit and I guess like the realness of this from from the beginning. I mean, I think you know, when when I think back to starting this in grad school, right? The goal was how do we get this to be real enough that when we're not students, 
will be able to do this is is a full time you know is is a full time job versus a you know versus a, a, you know even though it felt like the even though it felt at most times like school was the side hustle. Um, <laughs> the uh, I'm glad you said that because it kind of was. You guys were more passionate about this. School was just we can't, like, well, it, it, you know, and, and frankly, you know, the it, the education was getting applied into it, but it was all through the lens. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, if if, if there wasn't, uh, if, if you know, what was being discussed in class couldn't be looked at or turned into some sort of group project where we were getting our classmates to like really participate in the early stages, um, then then it you know was obviously of less interest. Uh, so you you mentioned that it was a high side hustle for a year and a half. When did you decide to go full time, and were you able were you guys able to pay yourselves when you did? So graduation day was like you know there was day one of I remember we like show up to to a co working space that we were squatting in like on the first day after graduation I was like well wait okay so like this this is this is the full thing now. so like actually I would say that actually really did in in a great way feel. A bit different um, when there weren't as many things competing, and when you know the yeah, uh, time. Yeah. yeah. So how do we make that decision that that we were going to go full time? It was there were a couple traction points that we really felt we needed to have confidence that this was going to continue to work. One of the first was a, a big wholesale account. So one, our first uh, wholesale account was Fresh Direct. You know, fantastic business here in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shameless plug. Like, you know, if it wasn't for Fresh Rec, we would not have food at our house. Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just just absolutely fantastic. Um, and so they were they were our first wholesale account. Um, it, the the traction we were seeing in those that early spring back spring twenty fifteen at this point uh, was incredibly encouraging and gave us confidence to add on that that wholesale and online channel in a way that we knew was necessary to you begin validating the, the the scale that we were looking to because you, know, you can build a, a business to a point direct and like there's huge huge value in doing that you know knowing knowing your customer having control over the supply chain um but you know ultimately in food and beverage most most food is sold through wholesale channels like right. something like 95 percent. and so you know, we just knew we needed so, some proof points there got it and, uh well i just wanted to also um ask because a lot of people wonder uh, at what point did you decide to pay yourself? And if you could share how much you guys paid yourself, uh, just so, to give people a little insight on that. While we were in school, we never paid ourselves. And then I think in that first year after graduation, it might have been like $25,000 each. Nice. I mean, something like, I mean, yeah, rel- relative to the debt that we were in, like <laughs> like a little a little laughable. Our, our view has always been long game. Right, and so so with that, that was never like a concern. Optimizing for, you know, take home pay is 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 I think the wrong lens to be looking at a lot of this through. Yeah, and then look, once you get a little bit of capital, of course, you can hopefully you still have to live <laughs> and pay your bills and all that stuff. Completely, in order to have a clear mind. No, but I mean, I, I say like you know, with full, with full honesty, like you that money should and to you know to the greatest extent possible needs to stay in the business. Yeah. Because the yeah, you know, the equity value you're building is is much more valuable than those dollars today. Absolutely. So, uh what would you say first of all, uh, obviously it's been 4 years now. How many employees do you guys have? We are at 12. What would you say is next for the business? I mean, what I guess is the focus now? So, I mean, without taking any sort of focus off of our our home market or home region here in the Northeast, and it's really expanding the business. So taking the you know, the case studies, the success story we've been able to build, 
you know, there's a lot of complexity that we've built into the business by being omni-channel the way we are with you know, direct B2B, direct B2C, wholesale food service, retail grocery. You know, the, the sum of that is has been a lot to manage. The way that we've learned it and managed it is by staying geographically at relatively tight and going deep You're here in the Northeast, Boston to DC in that, in that footprint. But now we feel uh, with the right distribution partners and, and manufacturing at a, at a really solid place that we're ready to expand beyond. And so that has been, and you will continue to be a focus, you know, in addition to building out new products and, and you know, continuing to, to build out the markets that we're in. And do you think now your job is changing a little bit more because you have to take on more talent to sort of hire experts that can help you grow these other channels and now you're more of a kind of talent acquisition guy? In the best way. Our absolute favorite part of where we're at as a business now is the people we're getting to bring into the business. The energy and the passion it's like it's it's humbling to see and just like it's and just so freaking cool to go to work and like see people that are so, and work with people that are that feel to maybe maybe they wouldn't say that they're they 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 feel as passionate as they see Ben and I feel but like to to us we look at it and like they they mirror or exceed to us that level of passion and that is so cool. You're doing a good job hiring, obviously. If you're if you if you feel that the talent you're bringing on is at least somewhat as passionate as you are, that's incredible. It's, it, when you get to you know, to learn from these individuals as well, I mean, I think it's it's um, you were very fortunate that we've been able to hire some great talent and tend to continue, obviously. But it's been yeah, that's been it's been a big change even in this year, the past you know year to six months. Wow, really cool. Wandering Bear Coffee, I'm gonna sign up for your subscription service for sure. There's honestly, there's so much that we'd love to talk to you about. I I think that maybe we'll ask to have you back in six months or a year when you guys are crushing it all over the United States and um, and maybe even uncover some of the other things that you guys did to grow. But this is already really um, such a really cool story. I think of of you guys just um, having an interesting insight and then just putting the books down, so to speak, and executing, which I think every entrepreneur should do. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the cynical... Yeah, but or just true, I guess. I mean, it's like you you start and you just don't stop. You know, if you're if you're having enough fun, um, and getting enough positive feedback from what you're doing, yeah, you know, there there are gonna be there's going to be downs and challenges or whatever. But yeah, it's like you know, we we started and we didn't stop. You do have to have the fun stuff, the positive stuff. If it's all downs, it's not sustainable. <laughs> You're not going to keep on going with it. But you guys had initial traction and initial indicators that it's going to be at least somewhat successful. Clearly, I'm sure it helped that cold brew is just going crazy and becoming, uh, a cra- like I guess, a craze, right? Um, I love cold brew. I drink it every day. And so that probably helped a little bit. But you guys were passionate about it. And you found each other. And you figured it out along the way, and now I think the sky's the limit. Um, you're clearly doing the right things. We wish you a ton of success. Thanks a lot for coming to the show, Matt. Uh, we're going to do keg stands of Wandering Bear Coffee right now. This stuff is so good. We do kegs. We'll send you one. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll dare you. Just get doctor's clearance. I swear to God, I'll do it. No, I don't need doctor's clearance. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt.